0: Hello everyone, we're so happy to have you back for today's Vetfolio podcast, sponsored in part by Hills, where the fantastic Mr. Matthew Lyon will be joining us again to interview Dr. Brett Deerdorf about the profitability of pet food. In the world of e-commerce and subscription services, how is the profitability of pet food and other products affected? In today's episode, Dr. Deerdorf discusses the effects of e-commerce on pet food sales and how to adapt in this changing market. Dr. Deerdorf's path to veterinary medicine is a little different than the more common undergrad to vet school path that some of us take. He earned his Bachelor of Science degree in Economics and Physical Sciences from Kansas State University in 1982, then worked for five years in the fast-growing computer industry doing sales, training, and custom programming. He returned to Kansas State University in 1987 to attend the College of Veterinary Medicine and pursue his lifelong dream of becoming a veterinarian, receiving his Doctor of Veterinary Medicine degree in May of 1991. After graduating, he returned home to his town of Wichita, Kansas, where he entered small animal private practice, and his main interests were dermatology, preventative medicine, and nutrition. Dr. Dierdorf left clinical practice and joined Hills Pet Nutrition as a territory manager in 1996, where he was soon promoted to district sales manager for the Kansas, Oklahoma, and Arkansas Territory, and held that position prior to moving into marketing at the home office for Hills in Topeka, Kansas in 2000. Dr. Deirdorf has held a number of additional positions in marketing and sales and is currently the Senior Manager of Veterinary Customer Affairs, where he manages the Hills Veterinary Consultation Service. I know I use that service pretty frequently in practice. In his free time, Brett is an active cyclist, woodworker, and church volunteer. He and his wife, Teresa, have three daughters, three son-in-laws, six grandchildren, and have recently adopted a new Welsh Terrier. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Dr. Deirdorf.
1: Dr. Deerdorf as we explore this topic around profitability and pet food, one of the questions we did want to bring forward to you has to do with understanding that baseline profitability. Pet food is such a big part of the clinic and practice from the past. Obviously, things have changed a little bit as we look at online distributors and large retail organizations. But talk to us a little bit about why you think it's so important for our listeners to understand this profitability component of pet food?
2: Sure. You know, that's a great question, Matthew. And it's something that I get asked, you know, a fair amount of times when I, when I talk on this is why, why should we care? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. Number one, If you don't think selling pet foods is profitable, you don't do it. You don't even talk about it. It's not worth your time. There's so many new things in veterinary medicine that we have in front of us, you know, to recommend for our pet owners. And if one of those does not make me any food, well, I'm obviously not going to talk about it. So I think understanding it kind of drives our behavior to say, listen, this could be really profitable for me and I want to keep my practice doors open. So let's talk about it. So I think that's number one. I think number two, I could not practice veterinary medicine from a quality of care perspective without nutrition. You know, when grandma said you are what you eat, there's a lot of truth to that. And there are so many things that we can do through therapeutic pet foods to help these pets as they age, as they get disease. There's so much that we can do that we almost have to do it from a perspective of quality of care. And most, I'm going to say, nobody learns any of this kind of business stuff, typically in veterinary school. So we come out of school, we don't know, we hear things, we think we know what's going on, and that drives our behavior sometimes for an entire career. And so I think having a good understanding of it, of the topic helps to drive that behavior, the quality of care. And again, I think you almost have to do this to practice quality veterinary medicine.
1: That's a great setting of the stage, and I'll call that kind of our big picture perspective. Now, let's take this down a notch into some of the basics and the components that are required to actually understand and break this down to as simplest pieces for understanding profitability. So, the question this time around is What are the basics that listeners need to know to better understand the profitability of pet foods?
2: Sure. So, I mean, I I think there's always two avenues to go. You can go really complicated, or you can go really simple. Let's go the simple route because it's easy to remember. And I think it gets you very close to the true profitability picture. And if you want to know the exacts, Well, we can go down that rabbit hole. But I think the easy way to look at this is understand the profitability of pet foods. We first need to understand, well, how much is that dog or cat on my exam room table going to eat? And then how profitable are these foods? And so we can, you know, look at those and dig into those a little bit more if you'd like, Matthew. But that's the basics. How much do they eat? And then how profitable are those foods?
1: So let's go down a little bit further on one of those since you offered it up. As you were mentioning there about the quantity that a pet might eat, let's explore that a little bit deeper and talk to me about how our listeners should be going about calculating this.
2: Sure. You know, there's some equations that get you close to that exact caloric need. Um, I don't really like that equation because I can't do that math in my head, you know, where you take the body weight in kilograms, raise it to the three quarter power times 70. That gets you the resting energy requirement. And this is the stuff we were taught in school. But again, none of us probably remember that. And then take that resting energy requirement to get to a daily energy requirement. It depends upon the life stage and activity. And that, that to me is so complicated that we just don't do it. There's got to be an easier way. And in fact, there is a very easy rule of thumb that I kind of discovered probably eight or 10 years ago. And, it, and, and that rule of thumb says this, that dogs and cats eat approximately half of their body weight in dry food per month. So it's not an exact, you wouldn't calculate feeding guides on it, but it gets you a really close number. And I think that helps you with a lot of things. If I know they eat half their body weight a month, there's 12 months a year. That means half of 12, they eat six times their body weight per year. That's kind of a neat little number to know. It helps you in a lot of ways. If I know how much that dog or cat is gonna eat in a month, and I want to put them on a special diet for two months, I now know about how much to send them home. So just take a 40-pound dog, for example. They're going to eat half their body weight a month. So that's 20 pounds. I want to send them home two months worth. 20 times two is 40 pounds. Now, you can go the other route, but you're going to be sitting there with a calculator, and you're going to need to know all the things about every specific diet to get there. And that exact number, I don't think is all that important whether that bag lasts exactly two months or it lasts 55 days or 65 days is unimportant it's that approximation and being able to do it quickly and do it for every patient simply and easily and then communicate that to your clients that's what's going to be most effective in the hospital so a couple little caveats on that if you think about this a tiny dog you know a hyperactive dog I have a Welsh terrier at home and she's a mess but she's on the move all the time she eats a little bit more than six times her body weight a year and a great big dog, a Lab, a Golden, you know, that maybe spends a little less time running around, they'll eat a little bit less than that six times their body weight a year. But still, it's pretty good uh, and close approximation that gets you, I think, very close to knowing that number.
1: Dr. Deardorff, I think that's a great, simple way for folks to be looking at this. They've got the complex formula if they need it, but they've also got a good rule of thumb to help guide by in the moment there. Now, I want to come back to your second item, though, that you mentioned when we talked about the basics and we got there a response from you that talked about how profitable are some of these foods. So let's talk about that and specifically, how profitable are therapeutic diet foods? How do you go about calculating that and keeping it simple?
2: Yeah. So, and again, I'm all about simplicity because, you know, it depends upon a number of things. Canned foods are a little more profitable than dry. Small bags are a little more profitable per pound than big bags. And you could go through, again, all those math steps to figure out that exact number for your hospital. But again, I don't think it's worth doing that. Because I can tell you right now that the average is somewhere around a dollar fifteen to a dollar twenty five if you look at all of of the diets that you sell in your practice. But what I'm gonna do is get even simpler than that. I want you to just think about a dollar a pound. In the back of your head, you'll remember it's a little bit more than a dollar, but if I remember a dollar, that makes the math super easy. For instance, that let's go back to that forty pound dog. That 40 pound dog is going to eat six times his body weight in food a year. That's 240 pounds a year at a dollar a pound is 240 dollars. Now, whether it's 240 or 260 or whatever the number, the exact number is, that $240 a year, it's like, whoa, I had no idea. And when I ask veterinarians whether pet foods are profitable or not, and ask them these questions, they they honestly they don't know. Um, they've never been taught this, this kind of stuff. Yes, we were taught how to calculate daily energy requirements and caloric intake. And, you know, maybe my accountant could tell me how profitable the foods are, but it gets so complicated that we don't want to deal with that in our day-to-day, I'm going to call it exam room life. But knowing those two things, that dogs and cats eat half their body weight per month, and then it's about a dollar a pound, I can take that into my exam room every day. I've got a 10-pound cat on the table. That cat eats five pounds a month times 12, 60 pounds a year, a dollar a pound, $60. Pretty simple. I don't have to pull out a calculator and dig in and look at price lists and all that stuff. And again, these are approximations. And there's a little nuance to this. You know, I will tell you that, that cat foods are certainly more profitable than, than dog foods. And if you're in a feline-only practice, you might want to use $2 a pound. That's going to be on the high side, but it's probably closer to the real number than a dollar a pound. But if you're in a mixed animal practice, dogs and cats, That dollar a pound is is pretty close to where you need to be.
1: All right. Some great math lessons for folks, but we kept it simple as we walked them through that. Now, let's turn our attention a little bit to margin. And I want to bring this question to you of, does margin on foods enter into the discussion about profitability? What's your take on that?
2: Well, it kind of depends upon who you ask. I think a lot of people are going to look at the margin you make on pet foods and compare it to pharmaceuticals and say, you know, pet foods only make about a 45% markup on it, whereas some of my pharmaceuticals and flea tick control products, I may make 100 hundred, two hundred 200%. And so they think, well, again, that pet food's not very profitable. But you don't deposit percentages, Matthew, into your bank account. You deposit dollars. And so I think it's important to look at the dollars. I'm always hesitant and a little red flag always Pops up in my brain when I hear somebody talking about percentages. In looking at the dollars, you know, you have to look at a couple of components of of this. There's the profit that I make per bag, and then there's the profit that I make per year. And we think that we don't make as much money on foods, but you've got to remember that that pet owner is going to come back into my hospital, again, depending upon the size of bag that we give them, you know, six, eight, 10 times a year to repurchase that product. If you look at that dollar value, and let's say it's a 20 pound bag and I make $20 a bag, you think, well, that's not very much money because I might sell a year's supply of heartworm prevention. I may make three or four times that much. But that pet owner is going to come back into your hospital to buy that food every, every month or two. That's not just $20 a bag. It's $20 a bag times 8, 10, 12 visits a year. And that's where you really start to see the profit potential of foods. And so I refer that a little simple equation called earns times turns. So earns is what you earn per unit sold. And then turns is how many times are they gonna come back into my hospital to repurchase? And that's where that number starts to get real big. Yeah, you may only make 10 or $20 a bag, but if they're coming back in the hospital eight times a year, well, 20 times eight is $160 and that's profit. So that certainly is going to be a bigger number than what you're going to make on that flea and tick control or heartworm prevention or even some of the pharmaceuticals. Not to downplay the importance of those items, but to actually elevate the importance of pet foods from that profitability perspective, if that makes sense
1: it does absolutely so we've talked about the importance we've talked about how to go about calculating this and the dollar amounts to apply to keep things simple but now we need to get into a conversation or a part of this discussion on inventory obviously having pet food there in the clinic is something that's a convenience for many folks as they're bringing in their animal to be checked out and hopefully can make that uh, earn and turn that you mentioned there in the moment but let's talk about the inventory costs and isn't this maybe one of the reasons some vets aren't selling foods currently?
2: I think that's a, a part of that, Matthew. You know, when you when you go to some of these practice management sessions at your CE events, we hear a lot of talk about inventory and managing those inventory costs because in some situations, I think you're exactly right. You can have a lot of dollars wrapped up in that inventory. And if that inventory is not moving, that's just wasted dollars sitting there on your shelf. But I think that, that sometimes we don't think about about the true cost of that pet food inventory. And let me give you a kind of a scenario here and, and how this works, at least, at least here at Hills and, and how we do business. So let's just say this is the first of October, you've placed your order, our trucks are gonna come by and we're gonna deliver you that food the first week of October, and we're gonna give you a, you know, a sheet that says, here's what we delivered. But we don't collect a check for 95% of our hospitals, you're on our terms and conditions. So then the second week of October, we do the same thing. The third week, the same. The fourth week, the same. And then finally, on the 25th of the month is when our statements go out. And on that statement, I have those previous four weeks of purchases on there. And then our terms say net 20 procs. Well, most people think that that means they have 20 days to pay. It actually means that you have until the 20th of the following month. We're now into November. So that first week of November, I bring another week's of food. Again, the second week, the third week and then that that bill is now due on the 20th. But think about that. I have sent you seven weeks of food already, and you haven't paid me one dime for any of that food yet. And now, the bill for October is due. And on average, you've had 35 days to sell all of that food that you're now paying for in November. You know, you go all the way back to the first week of October, You've you've had seven weeks. You've had 50 days to sell that food. And so, as long as your inventory is not growing month to month and you're pretty much from a monthly perspective, keeping your inventory relatively even, you've sold that food and made a 45% markup on it before you even have to pay for it. So this is a cash flow positive venture for you. Uh, you're not investing in that food. You don't have dollars tied up in the inventory. Rather, it's our dollars tied up in the inventory on your shelves and then we're giving you time to pay for it. So I To me, the take home message there is, yeah, you don't want to go crazy with your inventory, but you certainly don't want to run out of those items that you know you're going to sell on a pretty regular basis. And every hospital knows what those key diets are, maybe a weight loss diet or a kidney diet or a urinary tract diet. So those are fast moving foods. Don't ever run out of those because if you do run out and your client's pet needs it, what are they going to do? Well, they're not going to not feed it. They're going to find that food somewhere and it's either maybe a competitor of of yours down the street or they may go online. And, you know, if they go online, they may, you know, you may lose that sale from that point forward. So you don't ever want to run out of inventory on those items that you know you have patients on. Now, there are some unique, unique pet foods that you may not want to carry the biggest bag. You may want to have the small bags there. That gets somebody started if they need to have it. And then you can order in the larger bags or you can use one of the other home delivery services that are out there. You know, the Vet Source, Vets First Choice, Hills to Home, those kinds of things. But certainly from an inventory perspective, as long as you're managing your inventory pretty well, Again, you've sold that food before you've had to pay for it. So inventory costs shouldn't be a big issue for you. The other thing that I will add in to that discussion, Matthew, I'm pretty sure this is is close to true for all the pet food companies that are out there, that we all have a pretty liberal return policy. You know, with Hills, you can return that food for just about any reason. And so you don't have to worry about having something on the shelf. If it doesn't sell and you're concerned about it, send it back to us. We'll give you your money back. Not that you would use that to manage your inventory, but it's certainly something to keep in mind as you're thinking about how much you do have invested, that we have a pretty liberal return policy. We want to make things right for you. We don't want out-of-date food to be sold. If you have a product that's out-of-date, send it back. We'll refund your money on that as well.
1: Dr. of some great food for thought, pun intended there. Uh, but oh, let's man. go ahead and <laughs> <laughs> let's shift gears here as we look at the overall industry. I, I kind of want to put this in perspective. We we talked about, you know, what it means daily and on a yearly basis in the practice. But now let's turn our attention to the overall marketplace how much food is being sold out there and how much of it is being sold by veterinarians?
2: Yeah, great question. So, you know, if you're a pet owner, you've seen this huge, huge offering of pet foods that we have and all these, you know, little boutique brands that are out there. And so, People, you know, we love our pets. They're our children. And so we'll stop at nothing to provide, you know, great food or what we think is great food to our pets. So we spent a lot of money here in the United States. Last year, we spent almost $30 billion just on pet food alone. That's treats and dry food, canned foods, all of that, but $30 billion. The interesting thing about that is, is that only about four to 5% of that $30 billion is sold through the veterinary channel. And, you know, that opens up a whole nother can of worms, you know, Matthew, that we can talk about from a standpoint of, you know, is that a good number? Is that four to five percent of the total 30 billion a good number for veterinarians? Well, I don't think it is. And I'm a little biased, but let's think about this. Probably somewhere between 75 and 85 percent of veterinarians feed their own pets a therapeutic food because just about every pet that's out there has some condition or something going on could benefit from a therapeutic food. Think about this, 50 to 60% of pets are overweight, probably better than 75% of pets have some kind of plaque stain or tartar. You know, certainly this time of year, here we are in the fall, we've got lots of allergies going on. We've got skin and coat issues then in the springtime. So in my mind, I'm going to say somewhere between 90 and 95% of pets could be on a therapeutic food. And we're only selling about 4 to 5% of those pets of therapeutic food. So there's this huge gap, you know, between 5% and 95%. Now, maybe 95% is too high. Fine. Want to call it 75? That's fine. We're still at 5%. So 5% to 75% is still a huge opportunity. Certainly there is not a hospital that's listening to our podcast today that could not easily in the course of the next year, double, triple or quadruple therapeutic pet food sales just by paying attention and starting to educate our clients about what we can do with food. You know, I can't in a 30-minute office exam once a year, undo 365 days of improper nutrition. You know, we worked with AHA a few years ago, and we talked about what should we be doing from a nutritional perspective, and really their point and our point, and I think if you talk to most veterinarians, they agree that we ought to talk to our clients about their pet's nutrition every time they come in the hospital. That does not mean we're going to change it, certainly, but we ought to at least Talk about it and address it and answer questions. Because the truth of the matter is, if I never talk about nutrition until that dog is, you know, got kidney disease at twelve or thirteen years of age, I've never talked about nutrition up to that point. Well, how how important is nutrition? It's not very because I've never talked about it. But if I talk about nutrition to my clients every time they come in the hospital, And I reference things like, well, how much does she eat? Do you feed her twice a day, morning, night? Does she get canned foods? And I engage my clients every time in that discussion, well, how important is pet food now? Well, Doc talks about it all the time, so it must be important. And again, even though we're not going to likely change foods all the time, I think the key thing here, Matthew, is that if I start educating my clients early on, and I say something like, hey, you know, we really believe in the power of nutrition at our hospital. So while I may not change your pet's food every time you come in, it's probably to be expected that I'm going to make some recommendations to what she's eating four, five, six times over the course of her life. You know, when she goes from puppy to adult, adult to senior, and if she gets any other medical conditions, we're going to address those, and we're going to look at, is there something that I can do with nutrition that's going to help your dog? And if that's the groundwork that I lay with all of my clients, then they're going to come to expect that. And now nutrition is important. And then I think the other thing is we've got to provide them, I think, some direction on where to get good information about nutrition. They may think, well, Dr. Deerdorf, you're biased, you sell it in your hospital, you make money. I want to know the truth about nutrition. Well, the last thing we want them to do is go out to Dr. Google and start Googling pet foods because they're going to hear everything that's out there and, and the good and bad and ugly. So I think there's some resources that you can go to. The World Small Animal Veterinary Association wasava.org has some great materials out there. I would go out to that website, take a peek there. They've got some downloads of nutrition sites that really mirror what we as veterinarians are taught in school about nutrition, boarded nutritionists would recommend from a nutritional perspective. And again, it's all about educating those clients. I think the reason 85 to 90% of veterinarians feed that therapeutic food is because they're knowledgeable. They know these foods work. They've been around it, many of us, for our entire careers. We've seen success stories. Our clients, not so much. They maybe have never had a pet on a therapeutic food, so they don't know anything about it. And so we've got to start that education process early, and often to bring them on board with the whole topic.
1: Dr. Deirdre, some great insights there. And I want to turn to you with kind of this last uh, opportunity, final thoughts for our listeners. So, as we wrap up this portion of the podcast, thoughts that you want to make sure stick with our audience? What would you like to share with them there?
2: Yeah, don't overcomplicate this. You know, keep it easy. Educate your staff on this. You know, if clients hear the same thing from everybody on your staff, it must be true. Everybody is kind of talking about this from the same perspective. It makes it so much easier for our clients to understand it. So what I'm going to do is make sure everybody on my staff knows that dogs and cats eat half their body weight in food per month. Because when you have that food, you know, on on the invoice, and the client says, "Gosh, that seems expensive." I want my clients to know. Well, you know, Fluffy weighs 20 pounds, so she's only going to eat 10 pounds a month. This is a 20-pound bag that's going to last you for two months. It's about sixty dollars a bag, sixty days in that two months. It's really only about a dollar a day that, that it's going to cost you to feed her. And then, then secondarily, don't forget to subtract out what you're currently feeding because that cost goes away. So you may be spending $40 a month on that grocery food. You may be spending $70 a month if you're feeding one of those, you know, high cost boutique brands, but whatever the cost is of the food you're currently feeding goes away and it's replaced by this therapeutic. So those are some concepts that our clients don't often think about. I want to make sure everybody on the staff understands that. And I think, you know, there's key people on the staff that maybe understand the profitability per pound. You could share that with everybody, but certainly I think your doctors need to understand that. Technicians probably need to understand that. But keep it simple, you know, and then come up with some ideas with your staff on how you're going to have these discussions and what, what things are we going to change in the hospital? You know, if we continue doing things the way we've always done them, we're going to continue to get the results we've always gotten. And if we want to grow nutrition as a profit center within the practice, let's lay out some ideas, key concepts and things that we want everybody in the hospital to know. And then let's focus on those and let's revisit them on a regular basis to make sure that we're continuously on the same page. We've got some goals, we've got some ideas in place and then, I think involving your pet food representative, you know, your Hills Territory Manager or whoever that person might be, involve them in the discussion. They're a free resource you can bring into your hospital to help you with your staff and to help develop some education maybe some, uh, some goals and some ideas on how to get better. But don't sit back and think that ah, it's just not worth it. It is certainly worth it. It's worth it certainly from a profit perspective. And then I think even more importantly than that, it's the quality of care that we can deliver to our clients' pets through proper nutrition. That's the biggie for me. And, you know, if we can if we can lengthen and improve the quality of a pet's life, That's worth some money to our clients. I think our clients are more than willing to do that as long as we understand the value that that therapeutic food brings into the equation. So packed a lot of information here, Matthew, in kind of a short discussion. But I think there's some very key things to remember. Pets eat half their body weight in food a month. Pet foods is about a dollar per pound profit from a dry perspective. And, you know, let's take it from there and move forward and see where that takes us.
1: Dr. Deardorff, as an extension of our conversation on the importance of veterinarians looking at having pet food as one of the products and services available obviously there's a profitability component there's a dietary component in good pet health but we live in an interconnected age now where e-commerce is something that you know can be that proverbial elephant in the room that we need to talk about and I want to get your thoughts as you're out there looking at this on a regular basis on what's happening in the e-commerce side of the veterinary food channel.
2: So um, I'm glad you raised that point, Matthew. This is a big, big, big issue, I think, for a lot of veterinarians. Um, You know, you think about pet foods and we recommend it and our clients buy one bag and then they go buy it online. So, you know, again, it's one of those things where I think veterinarians maybe are a little bit slow to adopt new technologies and, and certainly home delivery and the internet and e-commerce is a, not new, but maybe it's new as it relates to me and my practice. And so I think the message that I would say about e-commerce is that it's only going to impact our industry more and more in the future. And we can ignore it for so long, but it's only going to get worse. It's only going to impact us more. So I think the thing that for most veterinarians, we're a little bit scared. I'm not an expert in computers. I don't know how to do home delivery. It's going to take forever to do it. It's going to be expensive. These are all the thoughts that I think go through our minds. And the thing about it is we've got some really great partners that are out there that can help us with this. And I know for a fact, because I've talked to veterinarians, that you can be up and running with home delivery on your website, within the matter of a week, you've got companies like Vetsource, Vets First Choice, My Vet Store, Hills to Home, all of which can put their porters portals basically on your website, and you can now start selling any of these products online. I think the issue that comes up is, yeah, but it's expensive and I can't compete with the likes of Chewy and Amazon. Well, the truth of the matter is you probably can compete a lot more than you think you can. And so what I encourage people to do is make sure you truly understand who your competition is and understand what your clients see when they go online. You have to be aware. You have to go to Chewy. You have to go to Amazon or whatever other website there is. And if you don't have an account with them, start an account. Go all the way up to ordering some food without clicking that order button or putting your credit card number in so you see what your clients see. Many times, and I'll tell you this for a fact because I've looked at it recently. When I look at what a therapeutic food may cost on Chewy, by the time I've paid for shipping and and paid for everything on Chewy's website, I've still got room. I could match their price daily in my hospital um, and still make money. I may not make as much money, but I'll still make money. And I always uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek ask veterinarians, how much do you make on that bag of food you don't sell? Well, obviously, zero. Well, what do you lose on the bag of food you don't sell? You may not just lose that one bag. You may lose that pet's nutrition for the entire year. And if they go to some of these other websites, you may also lose flea and tick control, heartworm prevention, medications, shampoos. So if you're not in that game, you stand to lose a lot more than just say pet foods. So you've got to get in the game and you've got to get started. And there's no better time than today to get started. Certainly reach out to any of these companies that I've mentioned. They've got folks that can help. I would say, call some of your colleagues in town. Call some of your classmates from school and say, hey, what are you guys doing with e-commerce in your practice? Is it working? How's it working? What do I need to be aware of? What are the the watchouts? You know, don't sit back and wait. Get involved. Get involved today. And if it's not you, who are going to do this for your practice. Find somebody in your practice that's got some interest, maybe some skill sets or some knowledge and put them in charge, you know, and have them help you with it. But goodness, we've got to get involved in the whole e-commerce world because it's going to impact us even more down the road, Matthew.
1: Those are some great insights. We touched upon a bunch of items there. And what I heard resonating though, is that you really need to be looking at this as an opportunity rather than the competition that is there because, well, it's pretty well entrenched and these companies are up and running. So how do you become part of the equation? And I want to go back to something that we had in our earlier discussion on earns and turns and kind of the profitability and how does e-commerce fit into that equation you shared with our listeners before. So can you talk to us a little bit about your thoughts on e commerce, earns, and turns.
2: Yeah. So here's what we know. And you think about, well, I'll just give you an example. My personal example here for me and my wife, I'm married to a very short, very strong five foot, one half inch gal who she hates buying big bulky items like toilet paper and paper towels. So guess what? We have been buying our toilet paper and paper towels, home delivery, auto ship from Amazon for four years and Amazon gets a hundred percent of my business. We never run out. We may be overstocked a little bit and we may have to stop the next shipment or something, but we always have it. And I would say the chance of somebody getting my toilet paper, paper towel business away from Amazon is slim to none. All right. So how does that relate to pet foods? The thing is, is that our data says that when clients have to come into your hospital to buy these therapeutic foods, that if you follow those people that bought the first bag or the first case of cans, what percent of those people come back in and buy the second? Well, it's about 50%. So we've already lost 50% just on the second bag. And when you look at the third bag, it goes down to about 15 to 20%. And then it just gets worse from there. So on average, our data says that clients that buy therapeutic foods from your hospital, on average, buy 1.2 units. So that's not very good. When you go online, they buy upwards of eight or nine units. And that eight or nine number, that number two years ago was five. So just in that short amount of time, compliance is even getting better. And my thought on that is that as auto ship other things becomes more prevalent in our day-to-day life, I think the auto ship on therapeutic pet foods is going to get even stronger and go even longer. So what you find with margins and earns times turns, because we're shipping an individual bag, sometimes, you know, halfway across the country, there is cost involved in that shipping, all right? And so your margin, the amount of money you make per unit is likely, I'm going to say about 100%, it's going to go down a little bit, but you're going to make that up in the number of turns that you get. Okay. So as compliance, as auto ship becomes more prevalent and more accepted, the turns go up. So you might be making a little bit less per bag, but because the turns go up, your overall profit goes up. We've got some calculations that say that those profits could go up as much as 300% when they go on auto ship. And that could be true for food for heartworm prevention, flea and ticks, shampoos, pharmaceuticals, the whole nine yards. And so it's not going to happen overnight for you. So don't expect that. Expect that you're going to have to put some time and effort into developing your home delivery marketplace within your clinic. But if you get involved in it and you start now, again, you know it's important to set some goals. Make sure everybody on the staff is educated about what we can and can't do with auto ship and home delivery and make sure you understand all the ins and outs. I think that every practice, again, in the country could have a very vibrant online portal for their pet care. Now it's not going to happen itself and and so just having that portal on your website is is not going to mean that everybody's going to become instantly aware of it. I don't visit my veterinarian's website every day, every month, every year sometimes. So within the confines of my hospital, I have to have some signage, some mention of that home delivery at least that as an option to where I know my clients are going to see that more than one time. So it could be a little placard on the front counter, could be something in my exam rooms, it could be a statement at the bottom of each and every invoice, something on my reminder cards, it could be a special mailing, a newsletter. I think, you know, as more and more clinics have their social media pages up and running, so talk about it on Facebook, on Instagram, on Snapchat, whatever your social media channel is. Talk about it. Make people aware of it every chance you get. And then if you've got success stories from clients, share those as well. But again, it's, it, it's almost like a new therapy for a new disease. You don't just become an expert instantly. You've got to go to some continuing education. You've got to make some investments of time and effort. You've got to educate your staff. You've got to educate your client. So be willing to look at this not as, a okay, I've done it. I'm done. No. I'm going to do it and I'm going to continue to invest time and effort and and training and I'm going to advertise it to let my clients know. And I think if you take that kind of an attitude that this is not just one stop and done kind of thing, but this is an ongoing effort that we need to pay continuous attention to and continue to grow the presence of our online delivery service and, and how we're going to share that with our clients. I think if you take a long-term stance and how you're going to go about that, you're going to be successful. I talk about this, this topic as well you know, through different venues here at, at Hills. I have never had a clinic that has really jumped into home delivery that is not happy and is not making considerably more profit dollars because they've gotten into home delivery. So it's nothing to be afraid of, but it is something to take very seriously and you're gonna to have to put some time and effort into making it happen.
1: So Dr. Deirdreff, let's change gears a little bit from the veterinary perspective to the client side of things. And wanted to get your thoughts on why are individuals going online to buy? You shared your own experience there of reoccurring deliveries. What are we seeing are the behaviors that are driving people to go online in your experience?
2: Sure, that's a great question. You know, we used to think it was price, but if you ask people why they shop online, almost 100% are gonna say the number one reason is convenience. I'm busy, you're busy, we're all busy. We don't have time. And I can shop online 24 hours a day. And, um, you know, I have hobbies. I like to woodwork. I don't have a good woodworking store here where I live. I have to to drive about an hour to get someplace to, to, to just do some window shopping. But, you know, I can get online and I can I can find anything I want. So it's kind of more fun for some people. I like to shop. I don't always buy, but I shop. I look at a lot of stuff. So we've got this convenience issue. It's fun. I've got lots more options of places to go. And I think certainly, you know, the younger generation, My kids all do home delivery. I was a little slow to get into it, but I think I've caught up with them. I maybe have a little more spendable income than my kids do, so I use it quite regularly. But it's convenience. It's fun. I don't have to worry about crowds. I mean, there's all those things that are really, really there. And if you stop and think about the hours of operation for most veterinary hospitals, you know, you've got your Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, let's say. Well, those are the same hours that I work. And um, we've got a lot of uh, working couples that both work similar hours. And so neither one of them can really get away easily to come to the clinic. Maybe you're open on a Saturday morning, but I'm out mowing the yard or out playing golf or riding my bicycle, you know, and, and sometimes you just forget. But with home shopping and online uh, you know, e-commerce, I can shop 24 hours a day. So that's that's the things that we need to think about. That's why they're going there. They're not going there to hurt your business. You haven't made them mad. They're not doing this out of spite. They're doing it out of convenience. And and again, I think if as a practice, we mention certainly to every new client, and I think everybody that I'm gonna prescribe medications to or prescribe foods, or if I got a medicated shampoo, I think it's important to say, hey, listen, Fluffy is going to be on this thyroid medication probably for the rest of her life. And we think we've got a good dose here for you. That prescription is going to last you a month. Maybe it's going to last you two months. What we can do is we can put you on uh, home delivery and auto ship, same price or whatever price you choose. And we can make sure that, that you get that delivered to your home so that we don't forget, and she never comes off of that that medication. You do that with with pharmaceuticals, flea and tick control, heartworm prevention, shampoos. You can do it really with anything, not just food. So I think uh, having those kinds of discussions with our clients before they have a chance to go out and look. Because here's the thing: if you don't tell them you have you know e-commerce options available, they're probably not gonna look for you. To provide that service. So if they go online to say, you know, where do I buy my, you know, pet foods? Where can I buy prescription diet online? Your clinic is not likely going to be the first one that shows up. Chewy is probably going to be the first one to show up. So we've got to be proactive. We've got to let them know that we can do this. And I know that there's hospitals that are, are signing people up for the service, Rather they're, whether they're actually delivering an actual product or not. They're at least getting them signed up on the service and showing them how they can go out there and shop on the clinic's website to buy stuff. So you have to take a very proactive um, stance with this, Matthew, to get people started on
1: it. But I think that gives our listeners a lot of insight into what's going on behaviorally from the buying side with their client and obviously highlights the need to pull in the rest of the practice into this discussion those front end staff members that are interacting at the counter taking payments having them all on message is really an important component of this as well so as we wrap up this portion on kind of the e-commerce equation and how that fits into pet foods any final thoughts that you want to leave our audience with on this one
2: Yeah. Thanks, Matthew. You know, I think have fun with this, you guys. This should be an exciting, I think, addition to your services that you offer to your clients. It is certainly not anything to be afraid of. There's lots of partners out there that you can work with, that they can help get you up to speed and help get you going. And so have fun. I think it's an exciting time to be in veterinary medicine. You know, think about how I think engaged people are with their pets nutrition, with their healthcare, with all of that. Again, you know, millennials, they're delaying having children later and later, but they're buying pets earlier than what, what they used to. So what a great time to be in veterinary medicine and and how exciting is it to have all this great technology available to us. I think it's a shame if we don't take advantage of it. So have fun with it, get involved, find it. I promise you there's somebody on your staff right now that would love to be in charge of implementing a home delivery service for your clinic and would love to get more engaged with your social media strategy. You know, this is part of our, our daily culture. Our kids grow up with this stuff all the time. So find somebody that's excited about it and give them a little freedom to go out and start with this, but have fun and get engaged. I think you'll be really, really glad that you did.
0: Thank you, Dr. Deardorff. You've given us a lot to think about when it comes to adapting to a changing online marketplace. And thank you, of course, to Hills for sponsoring this podcast. If you'd like to find out more about this and other podcasts, click on the Education tab on the Vetfolio website. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this session, as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm@vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day.